Hello, dude. Episode 12. Episode 12 and the last episode of season one. That's crazy. Do you want to give like the logistics of when we'll be coming back and what can they what 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 they can expect for oh, like, oh yes, yes, you yes, know. yes. Um yeah, so after this episode comes out, our next episode won't be out for another three weeks. Um it'll be out December something. I think it's December thirteenth, maybe. The that third wrong. Mm, I think we moved it to like the twenty third. It was like a couple days before Christmas. The third week of December, I think, is when we decided okay. to release our episode, I think. Yeah. Check so, out our Instagram for more info on that. <laughs> yeah. So we will be taking a three-week break, and then we will be back. And then starting for season two, our episodes will actually be spaced out a little bit more than they are right now. Right now, we come out with an episode every other week. And starting season two, they will be every three weeks. So there will be two weeks without an episode. So you'll just have to learn to survive without new Mel and Al content. I know it's really hard for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I would also hang in there because we are definitely making up for it by posting a lot more like fun videos and not just like, hey, this is what we're doing. And look at what we just bought at Barnes & Noble, which will definitely be the topic of conversation, <laughs> at least for a little bit during this podcast episode. But um, we plan to do more like kind of like really mini episodes, like maybe like five minute videos of writing tips and being more intentional that way during the break and during that time when we have more time between episodes. So don't worry, you won't be void of writing material and encouragement. You'll just have to follow us at Letter by Letter Pod. Exactly. And if you have been following us, you would know that today, well, the day we're recording this episode was when Al and I went to Barnes and Noble separately obviously because we're still apart but we both went to Barnes and Noble and we bought the newest Keeper of the Lost Cities book and freaked out about it. I literally both of us posted like eight different videos on the stories so if you do follow us you were like bombarded with information on that. It is called Unlocked and is book 8.5 if you have any questions on 8.5, that sounds weird. Listen to Fan Fiction Never Heard Anyone, episode four. But <laughs> it's whew, it's an interesting book. It's more of like a guide to the series because the author wrote herself into so many corners that no one knows what's going on right now. And as I'm beginning to read, and she's basically explaining like every character and their motivation, their storyline, their history. I'm kind of like, this is actually a really thought out book. And an intricate, interesting plot. She just didn't write it well. (laughs) It sounds so bad, but it's... If you read the series, you'll understand. But again, we say this with all love. And you can clearly tell by our our stories that we are absolutely in love with it. And we really honestly have, like, no shame in shaming it or in our adoration of it. So, Oh, yeah. I'm sure everyone listening knows very well that we have no shame. (laughs) Uh... But I think it's only fitting that the day that we read a book that has one of the most frustrating plots of all time, that we end up talking about plot in general. And this episode is going to focus on monster hunting specifically. Obviously, we'll be giving accessible tips and it won't just be about me and Mel's personal project. As per usual, we use our writing things and our writing endeavors as vehicles for, you know, just general tips and tricks for you guys. But we hope that you find our stories interesting and are also a little 
anecdotes that we have of <laughs> fights and arguments <laughs> and like <laughs> debates we had while um, plotting out the story this past month. Um, but anyways, yeah. So before we go on to that, this is letter by letter. If you haven't listened to episode two, which is you're not a bad writer yet, you will have no idea what me and Al mean by what we're saying about monster hunting. But we're writing a book together, actually, which is called Monster Hunting, um, which was originally inspired by the movie that we watch every single year for Halloween called Monster House. Um, And we adore the two main characters in that movie. And we strangely identify with them really well and we have always wanted to write a story with characters that are based on us and we feel like DJ and Chowder the main characters from Monster House are a really good like foil for us honestly to I don't think that's the right term I just thought that sounded fancy (laughs) but they (laughs) but they're really good models for what we would want characters that represent us to look like in a book So we kind of took those characters, turned them into something that is a lot like us, and we created Bill and Arnie, and the story focuses on them and a lot of different side characters who go on this big thriller mystery journey to find Bill's dad. Um, So yeah, that's monster hunting, and recently when Aaliyah was over at my house while we were doing our Halloween weekend, we started getting really... um, intensely plotting our outline so we have the prologue and the first four chapters uh fully outlined and we have plans to do some more as you can see it's a full-blown novel so that's a plot of work to do oh yeah (laughs) and that's where wait i'm just gonna read really briefly my other um i it's kind of been my job for the past couple episodes to come up with punny titles most of them (laughs) can we say most of them were mine i think most of them have been mine a lot of them although yeah a lot of them have been yours but i did author's aerobics you did do author's aerobics we just kind of started like what did you do author's aerobics i thought i did that one no i did that one oh because we were yeah that was when the palm springs thing didn't happen right right (laughs) uh well i had that's a plot of work to do i think plot plotting and planting and plot your storylines those were the couple options um i wonder if okay let's see if anyone else understood this but it took like five minutes for alia to explain to me what plotting your storyline meant because she was like it's a math reference and i was like i don't understand like a line on a graph how you plot a line you know it was yeah it wasn't my best work okay that's why (laughs) that's why we settled on that's a plot of work to do but anyways speaking of plot and moving on to the meat of this episode basically why me and mel's wanted to have an entire episode dedicated to plot and tips that we have for it is partly because we've had a lot of people suggest like hey i'm really confused about this i don't know where to go plot is kind of one of the more daunting things in writing you start at stage one every single time and it's a little bit humbling in that sense so that's why we wanted to talk about it the second reason why and i can't remember if i've touched on this before because me and mel's basically like all the tips that we give you guys we've had these discussions before but just as friends so sometimes we can't remember what was discussed on the podcast and what we just discussed like together if that makes sense so if i've if i'm repeating myself i am sorry but 
it's always good to have a refresher. Am I right, Nels? Thank you. You're right. (laughs) And I thought I would add, before you even get into it, that she told me this just like, just in a conversation. She didn't like plan this idea out before she was talking to me, but she told me. And immediately I was like, I'm I'm using that someday when I have my own students and my own English class. I'm definitely going to teach this as a lesson for like a whole week. (laughs) So it's very important. (laughs) So much pressure on me. Okay, so this is more of just a concept or a realization that I had. I realized that the way that we are taught plot is awful in school. I don't really know how to say. Not awful. I would say it's not very realistic. How many people have seen the classic triangle graph of how, oh my gosh, how does it go? It's like conflict, resolution, and then the resolutions at the end, and there's like a climax at the top. And then you have like three lines in the middle on like the left side of the triangle. And it's to like, what are the three steps your character, t- your character takes to solving their conflict? Or it's like a Goldilocks. Like first they try the soup, then they try the other soup, and then they find the right soup. And like, that's kind of supposed to be the whole point. I don't know if any of that made sense, but that's kind of, it's a very simple step-by-step story drafting process. And that's how they teach plot pretty much like elementary through high school like think about it I know that the point of your core classes even English isn't to teach creative writing but it is kind of ridiculous that we are taught the same lesson like our whole time throughout like in fifth grade we were taught the same stuff as seniors in high school like isn't that just kind of strange Mills? do you feel me like that's just like why you know yeah it's that like traditional bell curve with like rising action conflict like falling action and then resolution and that's kind of like just the very basic formula but that's really the bare minimum of what no yeah and here's the way that I explained it so that's how we teach people to write their own novels but I would just take and I know you reference Harry Potter so much but I honestly think that I just do it because I know it's a kind of such a common story that everyone's going to know and kind of understand so if you ever wonder like why won't they shut up about Harry Potter it's because it's for the universality of our audience so basically here's my thing I would like to ask you what would be Harry Potter's conflict well fighting Voldemort okay where does Snape's conflict fall into that Like, where does his love for Lily versus his just, like, being kind of, like, isolated throughout his childhood so he has this resentment against the people on the good side, but he is good himself? Where does that fall onto the plot line? Where does Ron's insecurities fall on that plot line? And that those aren't just, like, character traits that you could just fill in later. Those actually ensue plot points, imperative plot points to the story. Where does, like, Voldemort's Voldemort's background fall into that story? I guess the point is to say that no plot is linear like that's just kind of a lie and no plot is as straightforward there is no three steps to get to the point even in a children's book there is way more complexity than that and you know I just kind of really wanted to make an episode and Mel and I wanted to make an episode where we show about how we think through plot so that we kind of allow room for that complexity and that imagination to run free so we can have various plot lines can play with it Because I think the greatest disgrace about it is that when you simplify plot to just that, it becomes methodical, takes away all the joy and all the creativity and all the art from it, in my personal opinion. So anyways, yeah, that's kind of my short, slightly angry rant about how creative writing is traditionally taught in public school systems. But also, you know, 
we're here to change that. So, <laughs> and Mel's will be one of those English teachers that doesn't do that. And it's going to be awesome. So, uh, <laughs> Mel's, do you want to take it away with kind of how we started off our plot line and just where we branched from? Yeah. And I just kind of wanted to add on to what you're saying, which is super great advice. And I think it's still important to remember those things like that kind of bell curve advice, especially as a young writer, when you're first starting out, it is very grade school advice. And it's good to follow when you're starting out and very good basic guidelines. But there's so much more and so many different layers into a good plot that really makes all the difference. And that's really not communicated in that kind of simple instruction. You know what I mean? Indeed. Okay, cool. So, (laughs) yes, moving on to how we got started, because I feel like one of the biggest questions, especially when I was starting out with writing, was like, where, like, how do you even start to figure out your plot? Like, you have your story idea. Like, now, now what? What's the first step to actually figuring this whole story out? So, obviously, we come up with the idea first, and then what I personally like to do in all of my stories, and we definitely applied this to monster hunting, is we come up with the end. Like, we come up with the resolution. Um, And that goes for our plot and for our characters as well. We decide who they are at the beginning and who we want them to be by the end of the story. That way, once we have those two kind of boundaries set up, it's easier to fill out the middle and have different stuff in here because like in the story because you're not just like throwing in events willy-nilly you're throwing in a specific plot point in order to develop your characters little by little so that by the end of your story they will be the fully finished character that you always dreamt and wanted them to be um, when you originally started out if that makes sense so the prologue of this entire story is this guy named Ben getting chased through the woods and It's really dramatic and scary, kind of like, you know, the beginning of Stranger Things when they're running, that scientist is like running through the lab and like trying to get into the elevator and then you hear the monster like above him and it's really creepy. That was kind of the vibe (laughs) that we were going for in the prologue. That's how the entire thing starts out is an action scene and it's really freaky. Then in the next chapter, you find out that Bill's dad has gone missing and, you know, it's just very specific suspenseful oh also Um, we should mention the original the prologue is set in like what when did we decide 1980s 90s yeah 1983 so and that's mentioned in the prologue so you know and then it flashes back to 2007 so just to make the distinction that that wasn't the scene of bill's dad getting attacked if that makes sense it's like a completely different thing it's kind of like we purposely did that to disorient the reader and grab the reader and then like shove them back into normalcy by chapter one if that makes sense so anyways just to grip them continue right you are back into normalcy by chapter one but by the end of that chapter you know that his dad has like completely vanished which is again suspenseful and it draws your attention back to the prologue so you're just like "Ooh, how are they related um then our next order of business was to figure out how this all ends so basically after his dad goes missing bill and arnie go on this big quest to go find him they meet this other girl who helps them and then a 
then Bill's babysitter and a gang who goes with her goes to look for them and they find out a bunch of clues along the way. So that was our vague idea of this entire story. And the way we wanted to wrap it all up was with them basically finding Bill's dad and finding the person who was first being chased in the prologue. And the rest won't be disclosed yet. But we decided basically <laughs> to have an emotion-packed twisty kind of ending so kind of that the ending is just as disorienting and fun and action-packed as the start was if that makes sense so start with a bane finish with a bane so okay yes basically a big point that mean moms were thinking was that your we made this practice in our head to every choice that we made we had to say justify it And I feel like this is something that's really not taught a lot. You kind of are taught to like run with your creativity and just make choices and make decisions, um, you know, when you're just beginning writing. But in reality, you need to have some kind of sign of logic, some kind of focus in that. So I'm going to just give two examples of how we, you know, used that and how that ended up making our plot a lot more like realistic, a lot fatter, I guess. is the only. It just rounded it out. You know, it made it more like realistic and real and full and just more like an actual story and less of like I don't know just a fun idea and like a campsite thing it became like a book so an example of that is obviously we said that this story we really wanted to be led by kids so we wanted there to be like no real adult presence for the majority of the book so we're like well how do we do that because obviously these are 12 year old boys we're like well what if it's a babysitter taking care of him and again that was partly inspired by monster house where babysitter is taking care of the boys the entire time so we're like okay why is the babysitter there and we're like well maybe the mom left town because she was like for an emotional like i don't know uh, like a retail therapy weekend with her best friend um for that time um after her husband went missing and then we're like that's really weird though like if your husband went missing you're not just going to go on a weekend with the girls you know what I mean that's a strange choice and we didn't really address that plot hole until we sat down to seriously think through every single motion and we thought about it we're like well what if she didn't think the husband's missing what if she thought that he left her and then we realized oh my gosh new point the mom and the dad do not have a great relationship. Bill's mom and Bill's dad don't have a great relationship. They think, um, she thinks that he just left her or left the family. And that's why no one, not the police, not anyone is actually looking for the dad. And only Bill is the one interested in looking for him because he is convinced that his dad would never leave him because they had a great relationship. And that's kind of the view of the story. So you see how that one kind of moment of just being like, justify it, justify it, ends up leading to like an actual like realistic character, a realistic choice and a realistic plot line. And I'm adding honestly a lot more dimension to bill and his dad and their relationship and his family dynamic and why he would be so connected to his dad if his mom is so checked out of that relationship if that makes sense so that was one way in which we rounded out the plot the other way was okay obviously we've hinted at it's called monster hunting so there is a monster in this book Funny enough, though, it's like the least developed thing in our entire novel. And we just have been putting it off because both of us, like Belle's more of like a 
Uh, obviously, her book has like video game elements to it and is slightly more of a fantasy reader. I am none of those things, maybe a little bit magical realism, but none of us deal with horror or monsters or anything near that level. So both of us are really tentative around the subject. And we kind of just were like, uh, we kind of wanted to just be, I don't know, maybe he's like made of static and he swallows things and that's his life force. And that's why he hunts people and he lives in the woods of a small town. That sounds good. And we were literally just going to leave it at that. Like we tell you guys all the time to be more thoughtful. And we literally almost just left the main character of the book just like, yeah, he's static and he eats things. <laughs> what else do you need to know? But <laughs> when we watched Monster House... Um, over Halloween weekend, we were really inspired by just how awesome and cool and thoughtful that villain was, how it had its whole backstory and motives. And though the monster monster house is the kind of main character of the film, we don't want the monster monster hunting to be the main character of the book. We definitely want it to be a more people oriented than horror horror oriented thing. But we did think, you know, we need to round out this character more. And that's when we decided to come up with a backstory for the monster. And Mel's, do you want to dive in to that? To okay, I'll give the setting, and then Mel's can dive into the actual debate. Me and Mel's went to this really yeah, cute yeah. coffee shop, and we were having our lavender coffee, and we had out our computer, and we had out our notebooks, and we were, you know, penning away. And uh, we were trying to figure out a reason why a monster would exist in a small town, and. Mel's, you can continue. Also, there's an old man sitting next to us. He was obviously like distance, like by next to us, next to us is next as we can get these days. You know what I mean? But he could definitely hear us this whole time. And Mel's continue. Yeah. Well, we realized afterwards, like looking back on it, first of all, we were probably super loud because we were both really excited about the whole planning process. And so we were probably like shouting. Um, and also, he was reading a newspaper, but Elias was saying he never turned the page. We were sitting there for like an hour and he was just focusing on that first page. So I think he was really just listening and very intrigued by our wacky story, um, which is really hilarious. But basically we were saying in terms of the time where the monster would exist, uh, we thought maybe in the 1920s when a lot of a lot is happening with world war 1920s like, in terms 1940s, of 1940s honey yes <laughs> oh did i like... say 20s well we're I'm keeping that in because that mistake paired with what's coming afterward is just gonna complete the vibe continue no. <laughs> oh it makes me look so dumb okay well basically it was an idea where we were thinking the the u.s government is basically experimenting to find a new way to basically send a bomb to Japan. And <laughs> we can explain what our actual idea is in a second, but I said the word Hiroshima. <laughs> and Leah goes, what did you just say? And I was like, Hiroshima, like Hiroshima, Japan, where, where the atomic bomb went off. And she was like, Hiroshima? And I was like, oh, Here's the thing, guys. <laughs> I'm Japanese. Um, so this looks really bad. But when I was studying for AP Euro, I was following this guy on YouTube who had a lot of like great videos. 
And he, he said Hiroshima the whole time. He was white. <laughs> like the entire... I said, well, whose instincts should you yeah, trust? Yeah, he definitely was. Your own Japanese instincts or the white man doing AP Euro videos? She went with the white man doing AP Euro videos. <laughs> For a whole, what, two, we- two years now, I've been saying Hiroshima. Thankfully, I haven't really gotten into that many discussions about it um, in the past. But I was like, we got into a full-fledged debate where I was like, it's definitely Hiroshima. Like, like I feel like I would know. And she was like, does it sound wrong to you when you say it? Uh, I loved the best part of that story is when we got back to her house, I was I promptly told her mom and Auntie Krista just went, you are Japanese. And that's what I know. And she put her head, her head in her hands. And it was like the most hilarious moment. Um, and the old man was definitely like dying. We also had to overhear you. This is my dumb moment. You're, I was like, well, when were radios invented? Like the 1980s, and you were like, they were invented like the 1800s, and I was like, what? And we like sounds. But I promise you guys, like we both have taken all the AP history classes. I've considered minoring in history in college. There's just some moments where your brain is not on your side, and that was one of them. Um, but <laughs> yeah basically our actual idea <laughs> is that somehow uh the government would find was trying to use uh static radio waves to channel that into some kind of weapon and use that in japan but it completely backfired and not they thought that nothing came of it um but there was actually an accident that was caused and the monster was created which explains why this monster is kind looks like it's made out of static. Um, yeah, it's basically and, yeah. trained to <laughs> kill or to attack for any kind of foreign detection, which obviously ties into the fear of foreigners that existed during World War II and all those different stuff. But because the explosion happened within this one small town where no one usually goes, it's a little bit of a ghost town, that kind of foreigner effect is just foreigner to that town itself. And so that's why there's so little missing person cases or attacks, because hardly anyone goes there. But whoever is new who does visit there ends up being eaten attacked absorbed we're still working out the details um but and obviously you know you see how there's definitely some plot holes in that thinking like what do you mean weaponized radio waves we're working on it but it's kind of a cool idea you have to admit (laughs) anyways but here's the thing that's an example of like rounding out your plot and justifying the decisions that you make and why a character why a may act a certain way or do something you always have to ask yourself those questions and that'll make it more realistic and that's kind of the takeaway of that moment so i was just kind of going to bring up the idea that all of our plot decisions are completely informed by the characters um i know Leah was just talking about we needed to justify every action that goes on in the story and i think that is really just shows how strong our characters are and how um how much we care about their input it sounds weird but like we really try to treat them like real people honestly in a way and make sure they have a say in what's going on and that we're not just making decisions because we are stuck for what to do next we're really choosing every single thing 
in order to develop our characters more and just make them stronger and bond them together as a group. Um, So I know this episode is completely about plot, but I did feel the need to bring up the fact that if your characters aren't strong, then if your characters aren't strong and you already struggle with plot, then it's going to make it so much more difficult to outline. If you're good at doing the plot stuff and your characters are the weak part, then maybe you don't need to focus on your characters as much when you're when you're creating the story. Um, but I think for the two of us, both of us are much more character-oriented than we are plot-oriented. So that was something very important and a little bit personal that we needed to figure out. Um, and it kind of happened by accident. I feel like, honestly, we haven't been coming up with this plot as much as it just has happened naturally because we're like, oh yeah, of course Arnie would say that or react that way. And yes, they would get into that fight in this chapter because this had happened two chapters earlier. You know what I mean? So it just has been kind of a natural progression. Rather than ask ourselves, what story do we want to tell? We ask, well, what do Bill and Arnie do next? Honestly, think about it, guys. It just makes it infinitely more fun and infinitely easier because all that pressure is lifted off of you and you put it on a fictional person. And it's at that point, it's just about getting to know someone, you know, and that's kind of almost sweet in a way. And it's really fun. Trust them and let them lead you on your way. We're writing this and it's like, it's super fun coming up with characters. It's like we have our own. <laughs> we just love friends. helping and being in the background. <laughs> um, that's a more sensitive topic. Anyways, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Slope, then my next point on my outline for this episode. Slope or character development. Okay, so basically um, on the idea of characters then kind of ensuing plot and them informing the plot and how things go, um, we definitely noticed the importance of making their development slow burn. So even though that they may be making really bold choices, like for example, you know, Bill and Arnie ditch school, which, you know, in a 12th grade, and not 12th grade, it's a 12 year old boy's mind is kind of like a crazy thing. That doesn't make them suddenly like rebellious people. You know what I mean? Like we had to ask ourselves, well, like, well, what's Arnie's vibe here? And Arnie's probably like, oh, well, there's nothing really going on at school today. No one's at home. No one will notice. And I'm really concerned about my friend because he's a very people oriented person. Don't know why we did that. We have no relationship (laughs) with that kind of personality type. But, you know, that's his main concern. And Bill isn't suddenly like a guy who's just willing to ditch school. He's just really overwhelmed and cares a lot about his dad. And he's really he's very concerned about justice and things being done right, as any main character is. And so that's kind of their driving forces. And they're friends the whole way through and they have no conflicts until they start getting repercussions for the kind of risky decisions that they make. And that's when Arnie gets nervous and that's when Bill gets frustrated And you just see that's when their personalities start to change. So it's kind of like, even as your plot choices, maybe making these bold moves, you know, you got to hold like hold the character back. You know what I mean? Like, make sure that you let them develop slowly, even as the plot is moving quickly, because it is a horror thriller action book. Um, So that's something that we had. And then also the idea, although this isn't entirely about plot, um, it definitely, like we said, if you don't have strong characters, um, it doesn't make um, for, uh, 
easy to write plot. And similarly, if your characters aren't interesting, then their plot lines and their storylines aren't going to be interesting, which makes a boring book. So the way that we kind of avoid that is making sure that none of your characters repeat themselves. An example is that, um, for example, like both Susie, who was originally called Francis, but we're going to delve into that later. But Susie and Beowulf are both like older high school slash college age, like emo goths, like 90s babies kind of vibe, you know, like that's their aesthetic they almost look identical on the surface but their motivations and the things that they go through and their character arcs are completely different almost going into the opposite directions during this entire book and so that's kind of the idea like we wanted each person to be so unique and so themselves that there's no like blurring of the lines and so each like like our readers can be like equally invested different character and it just keeps it all interesting and again that makes the plot more interesting because then each of them adds something to the story they're not like just repeating there isn't like five bills you know what i mean making for like a boring tale there's like everyone adds a component of smarts and dumb and comic relief and everyone gets that and so it's easy when you come at like a hard part of plot you're like oh who's going to solve this problem you know you already have a solution because you have a full team that completes the thing the picture you know I got a little bit jumbled, but do you feel me, man? You're probably wondering why we would choose Susie as, like, her, the name she would tell people to make herself sound cooler, but it's Susie spelled S-I-O-U-X-S-I-E, which is literally the most complicated way to spell Susie, but it's based off of the band Susie and the Banshees. Um, We just thought she would appreciate the name and... Um, she would spread the story that her mom was really into rock music and uh, was really into that band. And so she named her specifically after Susie and the Banshees. Later on in the story, you find out that her name is actually just Susan and her mom is like the sweetest, nicest, (laughs) like normal person ever and would never choose that Mm -hmm. name. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think that does line up with this point about slow burn character development is that originally you see these two characters and they look basically identical like they kind of look like the same basically toxic people um but then by the end of the story they change in incremental ways throughout each chapter and by the end they've really become their own people and you see their true personalities and their backstories and Mm -hmm. all that jazz so yeah fun stuff also i feel like we should mention a little bit more about Susie. Originally, her name was going to be Frances, but she told people that her name was Dahlia because we just thought it would be really funny for her and Beowulf to have like fake names that they go by to make themselves like sound cooler because that's definitely their vibe. Um, but we were kind of like, I don't know how we feel about Dahlia. That's just kind of a name that we settled on really because. We didn't really know what else to do. We have a plot point in there where it's not the that kind of culture or the style that's the issue. Like me and Mel's both adore a lot of aspects, and like I myself have dabbled a bit in that energy <laughs> throughout my time. Um, we just the main takeaway is that if it that's not you, then don't make it you. But there is a bit of character development with Robin at the end where 
we have a sweet moment where it's kind of hinted at that like she is more fits that culture and that aesthetic and just that style and it's more just about embracing who you are but we also felt that like those kinds of um what is it called uh subgroups oh my gosh subcultures get a kind of a bad rep so we also wanted to like show like it's not the bad that's not the bad part of it it's the like faking it that's bad you know so i just wanted to leave that in there unless you think we are like anti goth which we're not you know what i mean just putting that out there just putting that out there to be honest we called this plus and it is a plot novel but we are talking totally mainly about character and i think (laughs) that's just kind of how it goes and we really but i don't really want to apologize for it because at the end of the day like we said character really fuels the plot so hopefully this gives you some ideas on how to do plot and how to work those things out um but anyways, I'm only saying that because the next subject, I literally can't tie into plot at all. It's literally just about a character choice that we made. But it also has to go in with a topic that's very hot these days in the writing community, which is representation in writing and a big debate that me and Mel's ended up having about the ethnicity of the various characters in our novel. So, and, and we kind of just wanted to t- use this in because it came up while we were doing, while we were having our Halloween weekend. So it wasn't a part of the plotting process. It was just part of building the world in general. And basically right now, currently, um, we have envisioned Bill to be white and Arnie to be Filipino. We've mentioned this before so that they kind of mirror me and Mel's um, just because we've never seen a deal like us really representing the media aside from um, Peter and Ned from Spider-Man so we wanted to recreate that Um, we did Beowulf and Susie to also be white just because in our like minds and our personal experience the people that at least I was basing like I've known people in my life who have intense Beowulf energy and he was white and so I just that's just what I envision in that character Um, but both of us actually just like when we were thinking of who Jude is, who plays the necromancer, who is like the one of the character, one of the older teenage characters who ends up being a part of like a love triangle ish with Susie and Beowulf. Um, we both kind of just thought of him as being black. And that was just kind of like something that we thought. And I think the important thing about just that decision that we made is that it wasn't like in our advice to writers is that we didn't think, oh my gosh, we need that token minority character, which is a big issue in writing these days. It's just honestly what we envisioned when we envisioned that character. Like, I can't give any other example about that. Like, it was just what Mel's thought he looked like. And I wasn't really, like, she was more put in charge of creating Jude as a character. And when she told that to me, she was like, oh yeah, we both came to each other with who we envisioned, like, ideas in our heads. And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds right. And that's just what he was from day one. And then we realized that we were like one person away from it being like very split down the middle. So half the group of people that like half of our characters would bite and the other half would be um, representations of um, POC. And so we almost made Ben, who was referenced in the prologue, who ends up being a bigger character later, later on. We're like, well, should he be Asian? Should he be Latino? Should he be black? Like, what should he be? And Mel's, do you want to kind of talk about what we ended up deciding in terms of that? Yeah, so as of right now, Ben isn't a very developed character for the two of us yet. We don't really know that much about him except for what he contributes to the story. Um, but 
him personally, we don't really know him yet, which is kind of a weird way to phrase that. But, you know, we haven't really thought about who he is as a person. We felt like it was a little bit strange to just decide that he was going to be a person with dark skin, basically. We wanted it to come about naturally like the other two characters did, and we wanted that to actually be a part of his personality and his character rather than just being like, oh yeah, it would probably look better if we had three people of color in the story. You know what I mean? So maybe when it comes time, when we have more information about him and we like have done a few scenes with him, we'll be able to tell what he looks like and really have a picture of in our head of who he is the takeaway of that is just kind of like it should come from an authentic place and you always wonder like how can you tell well just be honest with yourself is that who you imagine them being and i i told Mel's i was like look we've grown up in like west la and los angeles in general and like that kind of area like this is what we see we see a lot of white people but we definitely see you know asians and blacks and latinos and all this kind of stuff and so like it would be weird if we wrote an all-white book because that to me feels strange because that's not what i grew up with seeing so why would i write a book that doesn't mirror my own personal life experience in that sense and same with mel's um um, but then the other thing that we wanted to point out too was that i was at least i have had and been discussions and debates a lot about whether or not you know um people who like what an author can and cannot write about when it comes to topics or situations of race and kind of the general consensus that people are holding right now um at least in more like progressive discussions is that say me and mel's can touch on the experience of being like an Asian American because that's what we are and we can write stories about that and experiences that we've had about that but it's not our place to write a storyline about the experience of a black man in the United States because we literally have no idea what that's like and we can't even begin to you know fathom that and so but that doesn't mean that we should leave out representation of different cultures and cultures and ethnicities and people that look different than us. It just, we shouldn't be telling their stories. So the fun part about monster hunting is that it doesn't touch on any of that stuff. It's just a fun story. And it literally just anyone can be anyone and it can be anything. And we have that freedom to have that representation, but we're also not trying to write it about something that we don't understand that we've never experienced, if that's making sense. So that's also something to be careful and wary of as you are choosing your characters and where they come from and what they look like and all those different kinds of things. So yes, Mel's, do you have anything to add on or? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think as writers or people who produce content in general, we kind of have a responsibility to be open-minded and be aware that there is so much misrepresentation in every in all the media that we see um so I think when you're developing your characters having that mindset of of thinking I really don't want all of my characters to be the same that just I mean in general that just makes for a good story that's literally what we were talking about earlier um So having that mindset first, but then like Al was saying, being authentic with it and not just throwing characters in there because you want more characters with dark skin. You put someone in a position and when you genuinely picture them, if you picture them 
as this kind of person, then you that's how you write them. And for us, I mean, both of us, I'm, both of us are mixed, but speaking for myself personally, I've never really experienced any kind of real acts of racism towards me personally, because mostly because when you look at me, I mean, we Bill is based off of me and he's white. Like, you look at me and you don't really assume that I'm Japanese. So I personally really can't write about severe acts of racism. And I think it's important for me to recognize that. And yet at the same time to still include those characters and give them a spotlight, but leave that um, story to be told by someone who's actually experienced that kind of thing. We went from plot to character to like and representation in the media. These are good and important topics to touch on. So no shame, no shame. At least for me, like I said, I'm not a character writer. I've been writing poetry my whole life. So this is my first stab at creating characters again. So this is kind of my first time not talking about this topic because obviously, you know, it's been a very imperative and present issue, especially within this year. Um, but in my own writing life, this was the first time that I was confronted with those choices and kind of where to go with this. So it's still a very new thing that's kind of running through me and Mel's heads and we're trying to treat it delicately and just be as conscious as possible. And I think it's just a moment where the writer notices that they just have to be kind of you know I don't know it's kind of like the moment where you just need to be gentle and caring and humble and like I don't know I feel like a lot of writers are like well I have a right to do this and, da, 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 da. and it's like well <laughs> real bad buddy so anyways all that being said we hope you enjoyed our plot episode but honestly I love this episode and I love emails and it's going to be an awesome time and I will miss you guys. Share, spread the news about us letter by letter. Uh, We would greatly appreciate it. And we also are appreciating your current, um, just all the love that we've gotten for the first 12 episodes. Honestly, did not think we would make it to 12. So I'm very proud of us. And Mels, do you want to leave with any closing thoughts? Yeah. Um, we're really excited. This is a great episode to leave season two. I mean, sorry. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> this is a great episode to end season one with. I think this was just like super fun. Kind of like encapsulate encapsulates what this entire podcast is because we talk about serious writing um, tips and advice. And then we also have really weird anecdotes about ourselves and the weird arguments we get into when we're writing together and then we suddenly transition into this really like prevalent issue yeah I feel like that really just sums up what this podcast is all about so now I'm getting emotional because season one is Mm -hmm. ending dude it's not nearly gonna be as emotional as when we finish the fan fiction this year I'm gonna cry (laughs) dude and on that note we'll take the chip